0: Um if you want to charge your I think your phone's back there so where do you have it okay. all right let's uh let's pray <laughs> Lord God, we uh, come before you again to ask that you speak to us through your word, Lord, through the message I'm about to give Lord I ask that you fill us with your holy Spirit. open our ears to understand. Open our hearts to know and accept the wisdom that you're giving us, Lord. There are times that we're up on a spiritual high, but also there are times when we're just down in the base of a mountain, Lord, in the valley, and it's hard, Lord. It is difficult. But you've given us great examples, great ways to to handle it, Lord, to deal with it, and, and but not on our own, Lord. Uh, you, you've you always been there, and you will always continue to be there. Let us hear you. Let us understand you more with this story we're about to, to read, Lord. Strengthen us and fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Um, if you guys ever studied uh, any kind of geography, you know that, um, especially when it comes to mountainous uh, regions, terrains, when it comes to a mountain, uh, two of the main components, two of the main geographic components of a mountain is its summit or its peak, and then the other is the base of the mountain or the bottom of the mountain. And I'm sure that you you might have heard an analogy or two about how a mountain can represent our spiritual life. There are times that we're on the top of those mountains, we're on the peak, we're on the summit, we feel strong and we feel very, um, almost uh, almost invincible. We just, you know, we know that the Lord is working, we see the Lord doing some things, and, and it's just amazing, an amazing time. Um, nothing can stop what we believe. Uh, you know, if anybody says anything, we're against it. Against what we believe, we usually make an effort, or we do a great effort, of um, countering against it. But also, there are times that we are at the base of that mountain. Some people call it the valley. Some people call it the base of the mountain. But those are the times that it just we almost feel tired and and, and empty, and um, we look up at the peak or at the summit, and it almost seems like. It's more than we can handle. It's way too much, and we start to feel drained. You know, this morning, we're going to be covering a passage in the Bible where Jesus and three of his disciples were just coming down from the summit of a a mountain. They had seen Jesus be transformed into his full glory, and now they're making their way down the mountain, and down, unbeknownst to them, down below, There was a big problem going on. There was a big issue. You know, um, in the main portion, our main portion of this this passage, we're gonna read about nine of Jesus' disciples. Nine of them find themselves in a situation where they are powerless to help a father and his suffering child. You see, up on top of that mountain was Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Those are the only four people that were up there. And down below was the nine other disciples. When Jesus shows up with Peter, James, and John, this is pretty much what happens. Jesus notices that there's a problem. Jesus addresses the problem, takes over, and resolves it. And then Jesus, we see Jesus explaining what the problem was. And after we cover that main portion, if we have time, um, we're going to read about how he takes the time to teach them about things that, are soon, that will soon take place. So I'm gonna to try to cover a big portion of, of, uh, of scripture, or you know, I wanna say about 15 or so uh, verses in the short amount of time we have, but, um, but the main portion is gonna be what about a problem that happens here at the base of the mountain. Now my intent is to explain that whatever, wherever you find yourself in any kind of situation, regardless of the situation, When you feel powerless, Jesus Christ has a compassion to come in and take over. There's nothing too great or too difficult for him to handle, but you must believe. You must believe that he can and that he will. Even if that faith is as small as, as a mustard seed, believe and he will help your unbelief. So if you have your Bibles with you um, or, if, you know, you want to use one of the Bibles we provided, please turn there to Mark chapter 9. That's where we'll be. And it's going to be in page 557. We're going to be. Um, that's the page number. And then we're also going to finish off in, in the following page 558. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 9 and we're going to begin in verse 14. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And this is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to cover small portions of it and then explain it and share what, what's going on and what's happening. Um, so let's, let's begin. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the scribes disputing with them. All of a sudden, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Then he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Peter, James, and John had just witnessed one of the most extraordinary and spectacular events recorded in the Bible. And we covered that last week about the whole transfiguration um, and what happened and who he was talking to during during that time. As they were making their way, as Jesus and his disciples were making their way down the mountain to get back to the others, as I mentioned, unbeknownst to them, there was a big issue, there was a big problem going down at the bottom of that mountain. And as soon as they arrived to be reunited with the rest of, with the, rest of the disciples, with the rest of their companions, Jesus immediately, immediately notices the problem. He sees the disciples arguing and disputing with some of the religious scribes with a large crowd watching. He comes down, he sees what's going on he sees the scribes he knows who they are because he's had confrontations with them before so he sees now these his his disciples and the scribes arguing and a whole big large crowd just watching them bickering back and forth imagine again a school you know the school fight you just have one person yell fight fight and then you all of a sudden you have like a big huge crowd of people just seeing what's going to happen next Essentially, that's what's going on here. This is what Jesus sees as he's coming down the mountain. Now, he sees them this arguing, and then um, all of a sudden, everyone realizes. Everyone looks up and realizes that um, Jesus, starts, Jesus is there. He's coming down the mountain. And their attention turns from the, from the issue, from the drama that's going on before them. And then it says, they were amazed and ran to greet him. For a brief minute, I want to even say for a brief second, they forgot about the fight, they forgot about the issue, they forgot about the problem, and were amazed at seeing Jesus come down towards them. Their eyes were on him, and everything was just forgotten about. Even, even if it was just for a brief minute, minute, their eyes were on Jesus, and everything was forgotten. Or at least, until he asked them this question, what are you arguing about? And it was at that point, again, that everything just came back to reality, and this is pretty much what happened. And we're going to be going, actually, what, talking about what, what was going on. Now, we're not told specifically who Jesus was addressing or who Jesus was asking this question to. Some say that he was asking his disciples just to get to the bottom Of the issue, to get to the bottom of the of of the argument, others say that Jesus was asking the scribes, was talking to the scribes, who may have been trying to pick a fight with the less knowledgeable disciples. And what we see again is is unfortunate people trying to take advantage of young Christians who are just trying to understand, who are just you know who are impressionable and you know there's they have, you have these scribes here now trying to pick a fight with the less knowledgeable disciples. But regardless of who he was talking to, we'll soon see that neither neither of them responded. But before we go there, these first three verses of our passage show us what can happen when we begin to lose our focus on Jesus Christ. Rather than waiting for Jesus to come back and take care of the problem, the nine disciples took it upon themselves to take care of it themselves. They didn't want to wait for Jesus to come down from the mountain. They see this issue and problem, and they said, hey, we, we can handle it. We can deal with this. When they realized that they couldn't and things got, had gotten out of control, they were called out on it. And that's what we see going on with the scribes, happening with the scribes. They, they, the scribes called them out on it. And now the disciples found themselves in a situation that was quickly getting out of hand. Now from what I've seen and from personal experiences, Christians today make that same mistake. And very often, something that appears to be good initiative turns out to be a bad judgment call. Yeah, I had the initiative to do this and I want to do this and, and, or take care of that and take care of this, but, but they don't take the time just to really ask the Lord, is this the right choice? Is this the right decision? And so they take this initiative and eventually it turns out to be a bad judgment call. That's why it's important that when you find yourself in a situation that is bigger than yourself, bigger than what you can handle, that you stay focused and patiently wait for Jesus. He'll show up he will show up one way or another and take over by handling it himself or guide you on what you have to do. I mean, all of us have been there. We've all been there. Like, the situation is huge. I don't know what to do. How do I handle this? You know, and, and we have to take the time just to say, Lord, what? To ask the Lord for guidance and for help. Very quickly we jump into making choices and decisions that are, aren't from him and we don't want to wait. And But the best thing to do is to wait. He will handle it, he will take over or he will guide you in what to do. What you want to avoid is being in a situation like the disciples where due to a bad decision, things have gotten, things have gotten way out of hand because you thought that Jesus was either taking too long to answer your prayers, or you felt that you can handle it yourself. You felt like you, can, you had a better hold of it or you a better handle of it. You can deal with it. You have that a, you know, type personality. I can deal with this. I, Jesus, just go ahead and take care of someone else's problems. I can deal with this. I can handle this. Um, it, you wanna avoid being in that situation. Because what can happen? is if it really turns out to be a bad decision. What you're gonna end up doing is having to defend, argue, and dispute with others for making an incorrect decision. You wanna just wait. If it can, this is what I'm saying, if it can wait, then wait. It's better to wait on Jesus than to make a rash decision. The last thing you wanna hear from Jesus as he is coming down and finally meeting with you is for him to say, what are you arguing with them about? Well, neither of the two parties who are arguing respond to Jesus, to Jesus' question, until a soft voice of a broken man is heard from the crowd. So please keep reading, verse, picking up in verse 17. Out of the crowd, one man answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, and he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and it and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, and they couldn't. But they couldn't. But he replied to them, "You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me." The voice Jesus here isn't from the scribes. Isn't from the disciples. The voice is from a crushed and broken father whose son had been suffering spiritually and physically for many years. Those of us that have children, we know that whenever we have a child that's sick, whenever we have a child that is hurting, we want to do whatever we can to help them. We love our kids very much, and you know, for this man, this was his only son. He had no others. He wanted to help him. He wanted to take care of him. And I'm sure that he tried every kind of treatment he could, but there was nothing. Nothing at all was able to help. Dad then begins to explain the entire situation to Jesus. By first telling him about his son's condition. Now, I wanted to take a quick minute to discuss. There's an argument when it, when it comes to this uh, story surrounding this story, this particular passage. Some say that the boy's suffering was due to an epileptic seizures. That was his medical condition, epileptic epileptic seizures, and that he was suffering it for a very long time. But due to the lack of medical knowledge at that time, it wasn't uncommon to blame an evil spirit when treatment was unsuccessful. So you have a sick child, whether it was epilepsy or whether it was um, something else. Every treatment was tried during that time and nothing worked. The best and easiest thing to do for any medical doctor or the doctor, whoever it was at the time, was just to say, you know what, this kid or this person has an evil spirit. Now that's what medical professionals here say today. They say, hey, if this boy was living today, if he was here with us right now, advanced treatment and medicine would have been sufficient to successfully help him, to successfully treat his condition. But the thing is, they don't quite understand, what they don't see is that those who make this argument fail to see that this boy's epileptic condition was something that even in today's medicine, even in today's um, technology, it wouldn't have been able to treat. This was far greater, bigger, than just some medical, um, some medical issue. This boy's seizures were being caused by an evil spirit within him. An evil spirit that was tormentor- tormenting him and torturing him. So when his, fra- when his father brought his son to Jesus, he wasn't there. He was the, the, Jesus wasn't there. He was at the, at the top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John. He then told Jesus, so I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Here's a good question. Why, as the disciples, why, why did he hand his son over to the disciples? Why them? And why not just wait for Jesus? You see, it's quite possible that either this dad had seen or had heard the disciples were once going around the region healing and driving out demons. We saw that story, I believe it was in chapter 7, chapter 7 or chapter 8, where Jesus had given his disciples power to heal the sick and to drive out demons. So either he had seen it at one time or had heard about it, and he was like, well, Jesus isn't here, and let me just ask one of the disciples— and they can do it. Well, it appears that the disciples they, they had a heart to help. They saw this dad that was suffer- that was hurting. They saw the son that was suffering. and as servants of Jesus, now being with Jesus for quite some time, they have a heart to help. I mean, who doesn't want to help you know uh, someone that is hurting, especially when it's someone uh, someone's child, someone's daughter, someone's son. That ought to be our hearts as well. If you know of a family, or if you know of a child that, who's suffering, who, who is in need, don't just ignore them. As Christians, we do. We have, to just ha- we have to have that heart of just wanting to assist, wanting to help, especially during those times of suffering. See, the disciples wanted to help. And, and why not? Why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't they help? I mean, they had helped others with similar conditions. And plus, Jesus wasn't around to help. I mean, I'm sure that's what they were thinking. Hey, you know, we've done this before. We've been in this situation before. Why not? Jesus is taking way too long. And this father needs immediate help right now. So what happens? They tried. They tried to drive, drive out this demon, and then nothing happened. Nothing at all. Nothing happened. The boy remained in, this, in the same condition. And maybe each one of them tried it. So if each one of them tried, imagine it—nine different exorcism by the nine by nine different disciples. Now we're not told that specifically, but it's it's a possibility. Hey, you know, Andrew, you you couldn't do it. Let me let me try to do it. You know, so you have Thomas and all the rest of the disciples. You know, trying to make, uh, trying to exorcise this demon, and nothing at all. They soon realized that they were completely powerless to help this man and this son. Imagine, or maybe you've been there before. You're just powerless to help someone that's hurting, someone that's in pain, someone that's suffering. It's not a good feeling. It's not to feel that, just feel powerless. And then what happens? Like legal eagles, These scribes jump on the situation. The scribes are noticing and they're paying attention and they're seeing what's going on. And like rabid dogs, like hyenas, they jump on the situation and called out the disciples on it. What's wrong with you? How come you couldn't do it? Do you not have faith? Don't you believe? And, you know, what's wrong with you? And it was at this point that Jesus arises from the bottom, from the top of that mountain and sees what is happening. And then, now every time I read this portion of, of, of scripture, you know, I, I imagine, I imagine Jesus um, putting his hand in his forehead, putting his hand in his forehead saying, "Ah, oh, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. This lament wasn't directed at the crowds. It wasn't directed at, or even the scribes. He wasn't directing it at them, but he was directing it at his disciples. Not for their lack of power, but for their lack of faith. After all, they had been through it all. They had been through and seen all kinds of miracles they had seen Jesus work in powerful ways and now they were in this situation and something was lacking they seemed to lack faith and this weighed heavily on Jesus this weighed on him so much that that's why he he said what he said and you can tell by the by the sound of those heavy words as he, as he makes that statement so check out, check out what Jesus does next I'm going to continue in verse 20 he says bring him to me so they brought him to him when the spirit saw him it immediately convulsed the boy he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth how long has this been like, how long has this been happening to him Jesus asked the father Childhood, childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Then Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly coming together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and stood him up. This these verses here is where we see Jesus addressing the problem take over and resolving it he begins by telling them bring the boy to me this was a compassionate loving invitation by Jesus as Christians Jesus wants us to do the same with those who are suffering and broken he invites them And we bring them. As Christians, our job is to bring these broken and suffering people to Jesus. And he's the one who helps them. All we're doing is guiding them. We're not converting them. We're not making them Christians. We're just bringing people to Jesus. And he's the one who's changing lives. He invites and we bring. Now as soon as the boy is brought before him the evil spirit realizes that Jesus realizes it's Jesus and soon the boy goes into one of his epileptic seizures one of his you know into one of those seizures. Some have said that this was a deaf and mute spirit and we see that it actually says there that it was a deaf and mute spirit because it couldn't hear what was going on. It couldn't hear what was happening. It couldn't speak. And up until this time, a lot of the demons, if you remember, were always saying something to Jesus. What do you want to do with us? What do you have to do with us, Son of the Most High God? Well, obviously, again, this spirit, this evil spirit, couldn't hear what was happening, what was going on here in this particular situation. So that's why, um, again, it was believed that um, it was, the spirit was deaf and mute. But it was, but the spirit, when it saw Jesus, it became afraid. Became so afraid that it caused this boy to go into one of his seizures. Then he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? How long has he been like this? notice, notice how Jesus calmly took command of the situation. He wasn't rushing. He didn't say, oh, hey, we got to do this and we got to do that. No, he was, you know, he wasn't sweating or shaking or working himself up to a fervor. He was completely calm about the situation. He took command. And he was simply carrying on a normal conversation. Jesus didn't worry. He knew this kid was going to be okay. It's just, you know, he just wanted, he he was going to pray for him. And he wanted a father to, to talk to him some more. After Dad answers the question, he looks directly at Jesus, straight at him, and with eyes full of tears, adds this. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, Jesus, it doesn't matter what, what it is. Even if you can't heal him, even if you can't, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This ultimately was what he wanted. This is what he wanted for himself and his son. Compassion and help. Well, when Jesus heard those words, it moved him. It moved him enough to, to, to reply back, to reply back, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, this was a convicting exhortation by Jesus. What he was pretty much saying was, you're asking me if I can do anything? But let me ask you, can you do this one thing? Can you believe? Jesus wanted to know from this man if he had the faith to believe in Jesus, had the faith to believe that Jesus can do all things, even if that faith was as small as, as his mustard seed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God knows every difficulty you're facing. He knows everything that you're dealing with and wants to know from you, can you believe? Will you believe? The Bible tells us that the faith that faith the size of a mustard seed can move enormous m- mountains but as small as that mustard seed is it's also living it's also a living and growing faith the question is are you willing to plant are you willing to plant it in the soil of hope water it in the word and see it take root to move the mountain so upon hearing Jesus say this from the depths from the depths of his heart from the deep recesses of his heart he cries out i do believe i do believe help my unbelief thing is while he believed there's no doubt that he believed faith is never is perf- faith is never perfect it's not perfect unfortunately The thing is, well, well, unbelief always has, always potentially exists. Yes, you can believe. This is what I mean by being at the base of the mountain. You can have a time where you just, your faith and your belief in Jesus is strong and nothing can stop it and nothing uh, can ever thwart it. There are times when that unbelief wanes every Christian, at one point or another, will find themselves at the base of the mountain. As a Christian, you'll discover there are moments when you're on the peak of that mountain and your faith is strong and intense. But no matter how strong it is, there are also moments you'll find yourself at the bottom of that same mountain. And as I mentioned, that intensity wanes. And you know when it wanes the most? You know when it just starts to dissipate the most? is when you're being assaulted and attacked by the enemy, it feels like your faith is barely hanging on. It's during those moments, during those times, that it's important that you get on your knees and go straight to the source of your faith. You go straight to the source of who's given you that faith. You go straight to the word of God and you go straight to God in prayer and your faith is frail, immerse yourself in the word of God or in prayer, and God will strengthen your faith. Opening your heart to him in this way will kill unbelief and build a stronger and more powerful faith. Now as the story continues, Jesus notices another crowd running towards them and commanded the evil spirit, come out of him and never enter it again. Jesus Christ Ensure that this demon would never torment this child again. Never again. You come out of him and you never ever come back into this child. See, what Jesus begins, what he starts, he completes thoroughly. He finishes and nothing, absolutely nothing will thwart his will. So when the evil spirit leaves him, the boy appears. We're told that the boy appears like he's dead. And it says that many believe, actually believed. They looked at the boy and thought that he actually was. Now Jesus, you know, with the faith that he had, he could have just walked away and said, "Yeah, you know, he's going he's gonna to be alright. He'll, you know, he'll recover. Or just give him a, you know, two motrin, some water, and he'll be alright. No, he didn't do that. He didn't walk away. Instead of walking away, Jesus stays there takes the boy by the hand and lifts him up from the ground for everyone to see that this boy was indeed alive and was well this image also represents what jesus christ does in our life when he raises us up or when he raised us up from spiritual death at one time in all of our lives, that's what we were. that's what we resembled, just a corpse. We were dead men, we were dead men, dead women walking. We were like zombies, just laying there. And for some of us we were. Some of us, we were stuck in that pit and stuck in that mire. We looked as though we were good as dead. And for some of us, again, he came. And lifted us up. And now everyone around us sees that we're alive and we're well. He makes us alive and well so that others will see that how compassionate, powerful, and merciful Jesus Christ is. Now this left the disciples obviously scratching their heads. They're like, hey, what's going on here? What in the world? How come we couldn't do this? What, Jesus? What's what's going on? They left again, like all kinds of questions for Jesus. And let's, let's read about it. Let's read about the main one they were they were contemplating. In verse twenty-eight says, after he went into the house, the disciples asked him privately, "Why couldn't we drive it out?" And he told them, "This kind can, this kind can come out only through prayer. It can come out by nothing but prayer." and fasting. After all this had happened and disciples walked into the house, they walked into a house, I'm sure, to fellowship and have a meal together. And as soon as they did, there was only one thing on the mind of the disciples. Why couldn't we drive it out? The answer he gives them was, his, was his, the explanation to the problem. This kind can only come out by nothing, by nothing but prayer and fasting. Jesus was explaining to the disciples that there are certain situations that require more than just faith alone. Yes, you know, faith moves mountains and faith is great. Having faith is, is what God wants you to have. But there are certain situations that require just more than that. Now I can't spend an entire you know morning discussing the benefits of prayer and fasting. I mean, that's in a study in and of itself. But in this particular situation, prayer and fasting in conjunction with faith was necessary. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell them. The thing is, prayer communicates to God the deep requests of our heart and fasting, what it does is enables the believer to rely and depend on God's strength and power. When you've gone one day, two days, a week, ten days, whatever without eating you're relying on God completely for your sustenance. You're denying your bodily needs. You're denying your needs just to be able to spend time with the Lord and ask the Lord, just provide for me. I'm hungry, but you know what? It doesn't matter because I am yours and you are mine. And it's, it's a great time of communion. If you've never fasted before in this way, in a spiritual way, I recommend it. But again, it's... You know, you have to really have a heart for it. You know, it's not, you know, it may not be easy, especially if it's more than one day. But when you do, and when you make that choice and decision to fast, don't forget the prayer part. That's what's important, too. The prayer and the fasting. And again, this particular situation was unique. This was a unique situation that the disciples tried to handle based on their past performances. For them, they were thinking, hey, yeah, you know what? We, we've done this before. We can do it again. You know, uh, just, uh, you know, you just got to, the situation is different, but, you know, we can handle this. They were doing it based on their past performances. And they weren't seeing, again, what was the uniqueness again and they weren't waiting they just didn't wait on, on the Lord they didn't wait on Jesus to come down now this is an important lesson for us to learn as well you see in our walk in our Christian life what may have worked at one time may not always work in another similar problematic situation what worked at one time what you may have done may not be the same may not you know God may require something else something different from you every trial and every hardship no matter how similar it may seem is unique and God is trying to show us something through each and every single one of these trials and hardships if you really desire to grow as a Christian if you really desire to mature in your faith God will challenge you. God will challenge you to use the knowledge you've gained and the wisdom he's given you in order to apply it, in order for you to apply it. I hope that this, the Christian you were five years ago is different than the Christian that's sitting here today. And yeah, you may have grown and you may have, you know, a lot of great things may have happened. But still, the challenges will come. Trials will come. As long as you live, live this life, it's gonna, there are going to be times that going to be really hard. But again, God is working in you. God is using those trials to help you so you can grow more into the image of Christ. He wants you to have that deep dependence on Him. And having, you know, we have to consistently be in that place of prayerful dependence on God's power. We have to depend on Him. When we surrender these things out to Him, He fills us with His power. And we, I guess, like I mentioned, we grow. If you're feeling stagnant, if you're feeling like there's just, you know, your faith hasn't really, you haven't matured. You have to ask yourself, what am I doing? What's going on? Allow God. Allow Him just to reveal these things for you, to you. Depend on Him during these issues, during these problems. If and when you mess up, though, have the faith to know that God will come and take care of it one way or another he'll find a way to take care of it you may not like the way he handles it you may not like the way he how he does it but he will come and take care of it but the thing is you must learn from your mistakes you have to learn from your own mistakes if you don't you're going to find yourself making that same mistake over and over again and there will, there won't be any growth now, if you study the book of Acts, you will get the impression this was one of the lessons that ultimately the, the, the disciples grasped. It took them long enough, but yes, they learned this lesson, a lot of hardships and a lot of trials you know, later, but they did. They grasped it, they grasped it, and they followed, and this is the same thing with ourselves. We have to grow from our mistakes. God is saying, see, had you done it this way, it, this would have happened. But you wanted to do it your way. We have to grow from our mistakes. Now this, uh, before we leave here this morning, I wanted to finish up with these two more verses. Verse 30, it says, When they had left that place and made their way, made their way through Galilee, I'm going to begin over, I'm sorry. When they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching the disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask. So as they began to travel throughout the Galilean region, By not having anyone else know their whereabouts, Jesus wanted to use this opportunity in order to give them some time to spend alone and in fellowship with one another. And also to specifically teach them about the events that were about to take place. Now if you remember um, prior to this, this was weighing heavily on the Lord. This was weighing heavily on Jesus. He had just been transfigured. Into his full glory. And he was having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And I believe it was Luke that tells us what that conversation was about. They were talking about his death. And so now Jesus is starting to teach them about this. this, this the things that are about to happen. Now it's pretty much confirmed. This was the second time in this gospel that Jesus taught them about his death and resurrection. If you remember, the first time he mentioned it was in chapter 8, verses 1 through 33. That first time, he was just merely talking about it. He was just mentioning it in conversation. If you remember, Peter rebuked him, and, and then Jesus rebuked him for rebuking him. But now he was actually teaching it the appearances of Moses and Elijah during the transfiguration and their topic of conversation confirmed the necessity, the absolute necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection. Unfortunately, the disciples, they still couldn't couldn't wrap their minds around the idea that Israel's Messiah was going to die. They just couldn't. You know, if I, I... Again, I'm not, I'm just using an example here. If I said, told Robin, hey, you know what? I'm gonna die tomorrow. You know, this is, this is gonna happen to me and I'm gonna die. She'd be like, yeah, right, you know, this is gonna happen to you. I won't let nothing happen to you. I hope she would say that. You know? <laughs> uh, um, but this was the mindset of the of the apostles. They loved him. They, they they were following him. They didn't want him to die. They didn't want him to to go away. They still had hopes. What they were hoping for is that Jesus would step up. Jesus would come in and step up and take over and establish a new earthly kingdom with him as a king. They were hoping this guy, Jesus, would insert himself. He'll find a way or even they will help him become king and that he will finally rule. That's what they were hoping for. They weren't thinking death. They weren't thinking resurrection. They were thinking about, here's the Messiah, here's the king who's gonna set up an earthly kingdom. They couldn't understand. This is the thing, they couldn't understand because they couldn't accept it. And they still wanted to prevent it from happening. You can tell on the tip of their tongues, they're like, what are you talking about death? you not not gonna let that happen. See, it says here that, that uh, they, did not, uh, they, they were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand the statement and they were afraid to ask him. How were they afraid? Why do you think they were afraid? Perhaps Jesus' previous rebuke of Peter, during that first time he talked about it, prompted them to stay quiet about it. What did he tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Your plans are the plans of men, not of God. They didn't want to be rebuked. They had already been rebuked. If we remember again, verse 19, it tells them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? They didn't want to be rebuked anymore. They were just like, you know, we're not going to say anything. just going to stay quiet, you know, and just zip it up. Sometimes that's the best thing to do is just don't say nothing. Again, they were afraid to ask him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is This is the gospel that we ought to preach. This is the gospel that we live and we die for. God sent his Son to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ was betrayed, beaten, and killed to reconcile us back with God. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. To give us eternal life. You see, a gospel without Jesus' death and resurrection would have just been a hollow and empty message. Had the God, had the death and resurrection not occur- occurred, Jesus would have been known, gone in history as just another, another Gandhi, another person that had wise sayings. But what makes the gospel good news is his death and resurrection. The fact that we now have eternal, we have forgiveness of sins, and we have eternal life with him. Without the death and resurrection, as I mentioned, it's just hollow and empty message. Now, growing up, I don't know if you guys have ever, um, I grew up in San Diego, and I don't know if you guys know what, What an abalone seashell is i remember seeing these as a kid going through field trips to the aquariums in san diego and and these were these abalone seashells they were beautiful because inside they had different hues of green and blue and, and yellow and they were just really colorful they're really pretty they're beautiful and this is what i imagined that what an empty gospel is like it's like a like an abalone seashell that appears shiny and beautiful when it's new but like all shells if nothing is done with it if it stays there on the beach in the water eventually it breaks up into a million pieces by the crashing waves or by the pressure of the sands of time you have these beautiful hollow, empty shells. could be used. It could be useful. But in time, they just break up. Just like every other shell you see on the beach. They eventually break up into a million pieces. This is what an empty and hollow shell of a message of of Jesus... It, it, it had not Jesus gone through the, the death and resurrection, this is what it would have been like. Something beautiful but Temporary, not lasting. I'll give you another quick, quick little example. Last night as I was finishing up my lesson here, I, I was, one of my favorite chocolates is these Ghirardelli squares that have caramel inside. I, I mean, I, I don't buy them very often because they're just, you know, they're kind of pricey and, you know, it's, it's a treat. It's a nice little treat when Robin gets into me. I'm like, yay, you know. <laughs> um, but I would imagine again if I opened up this package and I bit into it and it was just hollow, there was nothing. What makes it really good is just the caramel that's inside, you know. I think I, uh, that's what it would be like. It was just like biting into this piece of chocolate and it's good. It tastes good because it's, but it's empty inside, nothing. You know, I th- it's just disappointing. The gospel we have. The Gospel message of Jesus Christ is a message of faith. It's a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's a message of sacrifice. And yes, it's, there's, it's a message of despair. But guess what? That despair turns into victory. And in that victory, in time, when all is said and done, it's a message of peace. Because that's what we'll be. We'll be in peace. Now this gospel message is ready to be given if one is ready to surrender to it and accept it. So with that, let's let's pray. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for this message you've given us. The events that occurred at the base of this mountain about a father just wanted to help his suffering son. (coughs) Lord, you have given us this story to explain to us how much you do you care about us. There's so many facets to this one story, Lord, that it's just, it's It's amazing just what you have to teach us and what what we can learn from it, Lord. Lord, we do believe. Lord, we do believe, but help our unbelief. Especially during those times We're just not feeling it. We feel when we feel weak, when we feel powerless. Help us, Lord. Show us the wonder of your glory. Show us how powerful you are, Lord. forward to that day that we are finally with you, Lord. We believe in this gospel. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he came and died and rose again for us, Lord. And if you've never prayed that prayer, just quietness of your heart, just ask him to come into your life. Surrender your life to him. Just pray this in your heart, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he is Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. May I live my life for Jesus Christ from here on forward. I give everything to you. Bless everyone that's here, Lord. Bless their families. Bless everyone that just couldn't make it as well, Lord. Protect them. Watch over them. May we just all grow. May we just all may we all just know you more and more as the time, as the days go by. Bless this next time of fellowship. Bless this next time of, of just seeing what's going on with each other's lives, Lord. May we, encourage, may we encourage each other, lift each other up, and may our conversations just be edible, edifying to you, Lord. Thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen.